So, so you said you haven't started your story yet? I have not. Outstanding. So He's that means it. you're going to you hear that, Chris. We have no shot. We just lost. <laughs> I know. No, it works. If Shane comes I, in unprepared. I've played, this, I've played this game before. It's not gone well. <laughs> oh. I like your chances. Usually, I have a base idea with no story. This time, I have nothing. So, How can you have nothing? Lethal weapon, man. Come on. You got, you got that. Get the lethal weapon cast and die hard, right? I do. I do have both those things. And you know the, the plot of Die Hard, and you know you can't go wrong with Mel Gibson and Danny Glover. Well, I, exactly. I mean, I, I have for pulled that, up. I, know, but... I have pulled up the synopsis of the Die Hard <laughs> plot because I haven't watched this movie in at least twenty years. What? I watch you it every it for Christmas. Christmas. You didn't watch I, it for Christmas. Christmas does not start until you drop Hans Gruber from the top of the Nakatomi Tower. Gruber. That's a Christmas movie. My my all my entire family's watches up for Christmas. We watch we it do. every Christmas Eve as we're finishing all the present wrapping. There's just something wonderful about watching Hans Gruber fall. Even more so now that you know that uh Alan Rickman's actually dead. <laughs> wow, that makes it that better. Dark. <laughs> How funny would it be if while he was falling, John McClane's like, Oh fun, I got bro. <laughs> that would be perfect. Hey, you got an idea now, Shane. See? Uh, I, I will say I actually already toyed with that. <laughs> oh, uh, technically, you have to have a snake kill him to be based on a bug. I, and know. I actually also thought that. But <laughs> <laughs> Why not just have it all? Let him on the way down, you know, you get, get him with the killing curse. Then he goes further down, the snake jumps out, gets him, hits the ground, and... Then he says a couple of things about how life is, you know, meaningless as he gets shot by a Vogon because he's the voice of, <laughs> you know, in, in uh, a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, be great. Marvin? Somewhere in there. Yeah, he's the voice of Marvin. Having, having hey, now saying, he, could say the, he could say the line from Galaxy Quest. Never yeah. give up, never surrender. No, no, the, the other one where he says, by the, uh, oh, oh, the by Gramthar's hammer, I will avenge thee. Mm-hmm. That's such a good movie. That then, is such a good movie. And then Shane says, we Have you do, seen my movie? We should do, you know what we should do? We should do a Galaxy Quest sequel as a group thing one day on here. All of us just come in and we, we each bring, we each are responsible for uh, a couple of cast members and then we just start the story without, and, and we all just sort of jump in and see how it goes. Oh, what a good idea. We need to try <laughs> that. We need to try that separately from our regular stories. You know what I'm saying? Both Jeremy never and Jeremy really like that movie. What? <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, we could do that. You've never seen Galaxy Quest? I have not. That's oh, my lot. lands. Christine, you get over here right now. Come over here right now. I will show it to you. <laughs> I have it on Blu-ray. It's an excellent sure I movie. I make it in time. You are I got to preach tomorrow. They'll understand. Oh, you do? You switched with I the do. guy. Uh, you switched with whoever's doing it on Wednesday, okay? <laughs> they'll, they'll understand. They will understand. Switch with the Thursday guy. That guy don't belong here anyway. <laughs> that guy don't belong. <laughs> that dang dirty Jack Gilchrist. Good evening, and welcome to Once Upon a Recast. I'm Michael Circle, like a square with no corners, and with me, as always, are my bestest friends in the whole wide room. You may remember him from such hits as Don't Look Now, But I'm Not Wearing Any Pants, and So You Think You're a Minotaur, But How Do You Hoof It? He Hates How Much You Love Him, Young Jeremy Young. I hate how much you love me. Next, you may have seen him on Broadway. Not in New York, but at a grocery store on Broadway in Green Bay, Wisconsin, getting cheese. Stop and say, oh gosh, hello there, to Shane Roberts. Hello there. This next gentleman has actually been on Broadway. He watched The Lion King there, I think. Chris Roberts, no relation. I did. It's true. We like to rewrite movies to hilarious ends with particular objects or items or people changed in them. We recast them and we rewrite them. 
to uh, change them probably for the better. I don't think there's been a movie that we've done that isn't better than the original movie. I've exactly. heard it both ways. <laughs> <laughs> so what's going to happen tonight is, as usual, I won the last episode, therefore I get to choose the movie, and I have, and I get to choose what to change about it, and I have, and the other three will now read these movies or tell me their movies, and the winner that I pick will host and judge the next episode. And tonight, we are talking action films, all sorts of them. So in order to go first, or in order to see who's going to go first and tell an order of of the way things will flow tonight, I have a toss-up. And then I will let you all know what my movies what movie was and uh, and the change that I'm doing to them. So I want you three to tell me what was your favorite action movie death scene. Oh man, it is in Lethal Weapon Two. Okay. Uh, whenever he's like diplomatic immunity, and then of course you have you know Danny Glover who shoots straight through the the diplomatic credentials and hits <laughs> the guy through the head, and he's like, it's been revoked. There's one scene that comes to mind for me. Hi. Have you ever heard of the movie Given? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it was, uh, I believe, written and produced by Michael Circle. And there's a scene in this movie where Bob Odenkirk, Bob Odenkirk. drops the hostage and attacks a plane, shooting through the glass, killing the person popping out the other end of the plane and re-catching the hostage. I've, I've got a funny story to share about that one. So that scene was actually, it actually played out in a video game, but long before it played out in a video game, there was, Shane, we'll, you'll remember this, uh, there was a Will I? Uh, pen and paper role-playing game called Feng Shui, action movie role-playing. I and, do know of this. Uh, it was super simple. It's none of that like ridiculous Dungeons and Dragons rule books and everything. It's one book that tells you how to do. You everything. just lost half our viewers. I did, didn't I? And <laughs> in it, it's basically the it's basically what we do on this podcast. We but it's with action movies. You just do the most ridiculous things. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I actually that we stole the idea from a, another thing. No, I actually podcast. did that move in one of these games a long time ago. That is a pretty good answer, but uh, my, one of my favorite death scenes of all time, still makes me laugh to this day, is the Cairo Swordsman from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. He goes, the, the whole crowd just spreads away, this big guy's like just wielding the sword, and he just pulls out his gun and shoots him. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Chris, tell me why he did that. Uh, do, which, which reason would you like? The real <laughs> There's a couple reason. of them out there. Tell me the real, the real reason. The real reason, according to, according to Harrison Ford, is he was sick, along with virtually everybody else in the cast, and he just wanted to like end this thing because they were supposed to have this giant battle. But he with had him his, and his ground whip. on. <laughs> he did, and that's a good thing. But him and his whip versus that guy and his sword. But the other reason I heard is that Harrison Ford is like, um, well, listen, if we were really doing this, I'd just pull my gun out and shoot him. He <laughs> <So, laughs> took the, the the they did that, and it. That's what they ended up using, which is pretty cool. It was like the most Harrison Ford thing, too. It was I mean, the most Harrison Ford really thing. It really is. Yeah, and next, yeah. after that, he crashed his plane. Yeah. <laughs> and then he almost uh, hit another plane later, so, you know. Yeah. And then so, he, yeah, he went from being the, Yeah, he did go from the epitome of being really cool to being the guy who's sort of like, you know, Urkel grown up, when he's like, did I do that? <laughs> That's All so right. loving. All right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a great answer too, but I, you know, I've got to give that one to Shane because that's because he sucked up the most. Because come on, I listen, thought you were better than Flattery will get you acknowledged. I acknowledge that we are but ants to the action scenes that Michael Circle can produce. <laughs> Shane, you're choosing to go last. I, I mean, it does seem like it makes the most sense. Okay, uh, who do you want to go first? Anybody want to go first? Just throw me under the bus. My story is probably not funny anyway. Jerry, you I, wish to fall upon that sword? I'm fine. I wish he does. <laughs> I, 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 was, I was previous judge. It's okay if I don't win this time. Though I'm still bringing it. I, I contend I like my story. I don't know if anyone else can. Right. I will allow you to fall it. upon the butter knife. And, uh, <laughs> butter knife. And I, believe that, I believe that makes Chris second. That's my understanding of how one, two, and three work together. Typically, <laughs> yeah. Jeremy will go first, Chris will go second, and Shane will go third. Is that what I just heard? 
That's I what I heard. So. Okay. Uh, that seems right. All right. So tonight, John McClane. He is the man in the wrong place at the wrong time. So this time, he's in the wrong movie. All three of our recasters are doing a different movie that tonight, um, but we've mixed up the characters. Shane will be treating us to a die-hard movie, but with Detectives Riggs and Murtaugh from Lethal Weapon. Chris will be pulling the famous buddy cop detectives and replacing the cast of Lethal Weapon with that of The Expendables. And poor Jeremy, who won a certain behind-the-scenes contest of mine and ended up at the wrong place at the wrong time, will have to tell us the story of Die Hard's John McClane taking on the role of The Expendables. All of them. All 180. <laughs> so if that being the case, let's start with Jeremy Young recasting The Expendables. All right, I'm just going to give you a couple of names to begin with, uh, and then we'll get into the rest of the story as we go on. Uh, of course, it's starring Bruce Willis as John McClane. Uh, the bad guy, uh, I've changed from uh, being Eric Roberts. Instead, it's going to be Eric Roberts' little sister, Julia Roberts, uh, in the role of Jane Monroe. Instead of uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, I've changed it to the macho man Randy Savage as Maximum Payne. That's a good change. Kick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, for General Garza, he, uh, he is going to be played by Ralph Fiennes. Uh, he's not <laughs> being played by his uh, – and listen, it's important that you get this. He is not being played by a Hispanic actor because of the harmful stereotypes that the Latin American community has whenever it's dealing with, with drugs. That people always think Latin America with drugs. We're not going to do that. So General Garza, we're still going to name Garza, but it's going to be Ralph Fiennes playing the role. Uh, also, Bonnie Bedelia, or if I'm pronouncing her name correctly, uh, the same lady who played Holly Gennaro in the films will be Holly as well in this movie. And also Lucy, played by Elizabeth Winstead, will also be in this film. So, Is that the Lucy the from uh, Live Free or from Die Hard? Die Hard, yes. I, I think that's actually, I love Lucy. <laughs> mm, opening for the film. It begins, everyone's had their seats, you know, and it goes straight into the film. It's very dark. You come in on a, uh, you're on an ocean liner, and, and it's, uh, it's one of those, like, ships that has, you know, all these, uh, I can't think of what you, what you uh, I just lost the name of it now. Anyway, it's hauling things. And uh, you can tell uh, that it's somewhere out off the coast of a, of a main area, and, and you get the little thing saying the Gulf of uh, Aden, which is, of course, you know, there in the Middle East, uh, the Red Sea. You see on board that the ship is not being run by the people who would normally run it. They've been held captive by, nonetheless, pirates who are all holding weapons on the, the nine or ten men who are there in the crew. And they're making a video, and they're saying how they want money and how the time has passed. And as they're saying that, suddenly they, uh, the pirates who are all there, actually about 30 of them who are around these men, are aware that there's a laser pointer right at the chest of the guy who's making the video. And so they all sort of stop and look up. And looking into the dark, they hear a sound of something moving through the air. A bag of money hits in front of them. And suddenly they hear, take your money. Of course, they, and they're told, take it and you leave the ship, you leave the sailors in peace, and just be gone. And of course, they look around and sort of laugh the way the pirates think that they got the upper hand. And they say, the price has gone up. You're late. John mutters to himself, I got a bad fornicating headache. Any of you guys got an aspirin? And then they said, listen, the company, you tell them that the price has tripled. Uh, you, you stupid American. To which the guy, uh, John, says, I was always partial to Roy Rogers myself. Yippee-ki-yay, mother fornicator. They look confused at each other. Then they look to speak back. You, you talk too much. If you're going to act, you shouldn't hesitate by speaking to us. Suddenly, a rocket is fired at the pirates. Hostages, money, destroying everything. John says, thanks for the advice. The ship begins to sink, and John gets in a small boat and heads for the shore, looking back at the sinking ship and says, just another day in paradise. Everything goes black. Suddenly, the words, the unimportant, unnecessary, unneeded, four dots. That's for my dad. The superfluous. Back home, John McClane arrives to speak with his, the guy who sets him up for the jobs. 
the man's name is Zeus, played by Sam Jackson, Samuel L. Jackson. To which he says, you were supposed to rescue the hostages, save the ship. You didn't do either. Listen, you know, hey, Zeus, you just need to take it, take it simple, all right? I, I did the job. I couldn't help it. They, 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 they were ready to kill everybody. I, I did what I was supposed to. Hey, Zeus, you need to calm down. Listen, how many times do I have to tell you? My name is not Hey, Zeus. My name is Zeus, as in mess with me and you get a fornicating lightning bolt up your donkey. Do I look Mexican to you, Zeus? Your problem is that you're a racist and you don't like me because I'm white and you clearly don't like the Mexicans. You're like, no, I don't like you because you got everybody killed. And then Zeus tells John, for some weird reason, about his next mission. They have to take out a brutal drug dealer on a remote coastal village in the Southern Hemisphere. We're not going to name any particular country in the Southern Hemisphere. Uh, so General Garza is the guy's name. And he is working with a drug lord by the name of Jane Monroe and her assistant Maximum Payne. And so John gets in his plane and flies down to said village with uh, the cover story that he is a beat writer for Latin American Sports Weekly. Um, of course, that, that doesn't mean that we're in Latin America. It's just, you know, that's the magazine he works for. It shows that Latin Americans actually enjoy reading articles about sports. Anyway, he's there to meet with his contact under this assumed cover story. He finds out that his contact is, in fact, a woman, a woman by the name of Holly Gennaro. In fact, it is his ex-wife. He informs John that she is actually the daughter of the general and that Garza is her real last name. She changed it in college. She shows John the, the main base of operations, and they are immediately confronted by a group of, uh, of 20 of Garza's men, to which he says, listen, I can handle it, and, and just, just let me talk to them. It won't be an issue. But John says, oh, you're in charge now? I got bad news for you. You're in charge of Jack Kaka. John, you listen to me, you jerk. Oh, jerk? I'm not the one who just got ramrodded on national television. She looks around like, what, what are you talking about? Now listen to me. If you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. Quit being part of the problem. John then pulls his gun and begins shooting and killing all the bad guys. He yells out, Holly! Get in the truck. And they drive back to the plane, going recklessly through the town, to which he says, are you aiming for these people? No. Well, maybe the mime, to which he says, well, a mime is a terrible thing to waste. Anyway, they get back to the plane, where Holly reveals that she actually was shot in the back during the battle. John realizes in a complex sequence where he thinks back slow motion to the battle, and he realizes that, well, he's the one who shot her. Uh, feeling bad about that, he flies her to the, uh, the hospital as quick as he can. He finds out where she will, in fact, uh, be able to get treatment, and they tell her she will live. But before she goes into surgery, um, she reveals that their daughter is being held captive at the compound. That's right. John now must save Lucy, the granddaughter of General, General Garza, back at the compound. General Garza is threatening Monroe and Payne for bringing this trouble into his life. His daughter has now been shot and is gone, and they're threatening to, to harm his, his granddaughter if, if everything doesn't go the way it should. And, and he, he says, you know, I should have never made this deal with you. To which Monroe, tired of his complaining, looks over at Payne, and with a little look, Payne knows what to do. He grabs the general, and he throws him out the window. It's about a 50-foot drop to the, the ground below. Then he jumps to the window himself, looks down, and drops a big elbow on the general, killing him. Now they turn to Lucy. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, they, they, they return to Lucy and begin to, to threaten her and torture her to try and get information about you know, who this John is and what they should expect. But while they're doing that, the general returns. And he says something really weird. He's like, you filthy American muggles dare to think you can kill me, the Dark Lord? And then Monroe shoots him in the head. And they go back to torturing Lucy, who then reveals that the only thing that she knows for sure is that John, her dad, is coming for them. And they will die hard at his hands. In fact, Garza then again reappears. 
only to have Payne beat him to death with a steel chair. John, of course, talking to himself uh, as he is arriving uh, at the at the town, speaking as he typically does to himself, going, "Come out to the coast. We'll get a get together, have a few laughs." Now I know what a TV dinner feels like. Of course, this made no sense since he was in the great wide open at the time, but nevertheless, he says it. And as he lands his plane and runs to the compound, he begins to plant bombs around the outside of the compound. And then he begins uh, taking out bad guys around the compound, killing one, uh, at one point, killing one and says to him, or right after he kills him, he says, nope, oh, the story of my life. Then he goes to shoot an, uh, another guy uh, who, in another language, yells out something because, you know, I'm avoiding harmful stereotypes. I'm not going to tell you what he says, but it sounded something like this. No, oh, shooto, I am o, unarmedo. <laughs> to which John says, What was that? as he shoots the guy. About that time, off camera, an interpreter. Oh God, you just gonna keep going. <laughs> about that time, off camera, off camera, sorry. Uh, the, the guy, uh, an interpreter, yells out, uh, He says, It means don't shoot. To which John looks over and says, I'm on your side, donkey. And he shoots him. That's right. He shoots the off-camera interpreter. <laughs> then, of course, he meets Payne. Payne confronts McLean. And when he does, he does so with flair. With a great deal of, of almost as someone cutting a promo. And he says, oh, yeah. Unbelievable. I am still on a finish talk right now. Yeah. In fact, I don't think I'm going to be coming down from this for a long period of time. Yeah. Reckless abandon. That's what I used to be. Yeah. But now, now what am I? I'm a, a mega. That's right. Yeah. The mega powers. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. I feel the power. I feel the power. I've never been better. Yeah. And as he is saying this, he doesn't realize that he's actually standing on a bomb that was planted by John. And, well, John pushes the button and he. He goes into many pieces. You suddenly hear from the distance say, snap into a Slim Jim. For no reason whatsoever. Product placement. Then, of course, Monroe, realizing that these bombs are going off and that many of their you know, guards have been killed, decides that it's a good time to escape, but grabs Lucy as a hostage and puts a gun on her. And as John confronts the two of them, he offers her a bag with the $5 million and the keys to his plane. She simply releases Lucy. John yells, you made your point, Jerko. Uh, now, let her go. And Jane agrees. Lucy runs to safety as John throws her the bag. As she picks it up, she immediately pulls her gun out and shoots John, and then runs away. As she's running away, she suddenly hears John laughing and yelling back at her. She looks back to see what he's saying, and he says, do you know what you get for being a hero? as he looks down at where he'd been shot in the arm, uh, top right shoulder, in fact, but still. He says, nothing. You get shot at. You get a pat on the back. Blah, 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 blah. Attaboy. You get divorced. Your wife can't remember your last name. Kids don't want to talk to you. You eat a lot uh, of meals by yourself. Trust me, pretty woman. Nobody wants to be that guy. I do this because nobody else will do it. And believe me, if there was somebody else who could do it, I would let them do it. But there's not, so I'm here doing it. She looks very confused, and then she says, well, that's what makes you that guy. But I'm Julia Roberts, John, and you can't kill me. I won an Academy Award. I don't die in movies. John, unimpressed, says, I saw still magnolias. yippee ki mother fornicator. <laughs> at that point in time, she looks down at the bag and realizes that it's not money, but in fact, a bomb. It says three, two, one. Boom. John, of course, seeing the explosion, pieces going everywhere, reaches out and catches something. He looks down. It's an Academy Award. Unimpressed, he throws it away. <laughs> Suddenly, General Garza appears just as John is getting loose and getting ready to head to the, the plane to get away, and you hear General Garza yell out, Obama Kedavra! <laughs> John, of course, sees green, but the light does nothing, and John just laughs and says, say hello to your brother for me, and you're about to have a very bad day. Laughing, he gets in the plane with Lucy, and 
as he flies over top, he drops the Moab, the mother of all bombs, on Garza, saying, Welcome to the party, pal. And suddenly the credits begin to roll. Post-credits. In the burning, smoldering rubble, we suddenly see Garza's hand reaching up through the ground. And then it goes black again, saying John will return in the superfluous sequel. The end. <laughs> oh, that was nice. <laughs> there was a lot of great things in that. The fact that you did, uh, the fact that you did the Jesus bit <laughs> from <laughs> Die Hard Three. Yeah. The fact that obviously Garza was using Horcruxes. <laughs> <laughs> continue to die and come back. And then Havana yep. Cadabra and John McClane, which doesn't work because you can't kill John McClane. My favorite part was that you didn't, you wanted to stay politically correct and you didn't want that negative stereotype to come through. What he said was, don't owe, shoot oh me <laughs> Yeah, I am an arm, I am oh, an armed oh. That yeah. got me. And then he shot the interpreter. <laughs> that was a watch out for snakes moment there, but yeah. Oh my god. Uh, yes, watch out for snakes. So that uh that was a fantastic movie. And uh you had the hardest one for sure to put John McClane and the expendables. Uh but now uh, we will move on to Chris. Looks like we're gonna warm up for the others here. <laughs> we will now go on to Chris, who is replacing Riggs and Murtaugh from Lethal Weapon with the Expendables. So Chris, go ahead. All right. Thank you very much. The name of my movie is Expendable Weapons. Oh, nice. Sylvester Stallone plays Murtaugh. Jason Stitham is Riggs. Terry Crews is Detective Lee Butters. Mickey Rourke is playing Leo Getz. Ronda Rousey is uh, Rianne Murtaugh. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is Captain Murphy. Jet Li is Wasing Koo. And we got Jean-Claude uh, Van Damme um, as well. Uh, he'll be playing uh, Villain. Let's let's just let's just go with John Claude Van Darn. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we got this is a family show. Easy there, buddy. <laughs> uh, Steve Austin will be playing Stone Cold Steve Payne, and we'll have a couple <laughs> others in there. I'll mention a little later. All right, let me start start my movie out here. So, after a long career as a professional boxer, Vietnam era soldier, mercenary, and now homicide sergeant. Rocky Balboa, a.k.a. John Rambo, a.k.a. Barney Ross, a.k.a. Sergeant Sly Murtaugh, is looking forward to retirement. Unfortunately for him, he just got saddled with a psychotic narcotics officer who has a shady criminal past himself and happens to be quite suicidal. And his name is Jason Riggs. It's said he once killed some guys because they stole his Eggo waffles and Nutella. <laughs> <laughs> Yet despite all this, Murtaugh can't help but see the resemblance to his old partner, Lee Christmas. Can't be the same guy, though. This guy is nuts. Oh, I am nuts. Nuts for Nutella. And there goes. <laughs> While together, they uncover a narcotics ring being run by a Belgian man named Villain. He's hired as his muscle and mercenary by the name of Stone Cold Steve Payne in a triad named Wasing Koo. This information comes from an informant named, well, Leo Getz. He's a grizzled old guy with a mouth like a sailor. By that, I mean his mouth looks a lot like Popeye's and he chews on a pipe, which he, for some reason, he spinach through. At least he tells the cops it's spinach. They know it's really <laughs> sin spinach. The devil's lettuce. Peruvian <laughs> parsley. Mary Jane. You get the picture. They decide to take the pothead with them and also enlist the help of Eager rookie detective Lee Butters, who seems to always be sucking up to Murtaugh. They come upon the front for the narcotics ring, which happens to be a Chinese restaurant, and after bullying the owner a bit, they find themselves face-to-face -face with triad Wasing Koo. Murtaugh was going to mention how he looked so much like his ex-partner Ying Yang, but didn't want to seem racist by implying that all Chinese people look the same. <laughs> Koo looks at them cold as ice and says, If this was Hong Kong. You'd already be dead. Yeah, but this is America. 
Stone Cold's going to open up a can of whoopings. And with that, Stone Cold Steve Bane crashes through the wall like the juggernaut and starts pounding Leo Gats. Fortunately, Leo is, is so high, he thinks it's all a dream. Riggs pulls his gun, but Ku completely disassembles it before he can do anything and then knocks Riggs out to the well-placed roundhouse. Murtaugh gets a good left-right combo in, but then takes a hard kick to the ribs. And just when it seems like things are completely out of hand, old Detective Butters pulls out a minigun and unloads it on Ku. Dodge that, sucker! He then turns the gun on Stone Cold Steve Payne. But that guy seems impervious to bullet fire for some reason. <laughs> They're just bouncing off of him. And at just at that point, in walks Belaine. He begins to speak, but then Stone Cold says, Wait a minute. I didn't know you were French. Because I'm not French. I'm Belgian. Same oh. sissy language. I'm out of here. <laughs> he then bursts through the front window of the restaurant and heads back to Texas. <laughs> Stone Cold don't like it. With all guns pointed at Belaine, he lets them know that he has Murtaugh's daughter, Rianne, tied up in the back. Wait, wait a minute. You tied up Rianne? <laughs> you better watch your back. At that, he turns around and quickly gets put in an arm bar and quickly taps out and surrenders. Yeah, that's my girl. Back at the station, we find out that the real masterminds behind the narcotics rings are, are two men from Riggs and Murtaugh's past. One by the name of Stonebanks, who himself used to go by Riggs in another life. And another guy by the name of Ivan Drago, who nearly, nearly killed Murtaugh in a boxing match in Russia. Riggs, shaken up by his defeat at the hands of Ku and realizing he has to go up against the original Riggs, tells Murtaugh, I can't do it. Maybe before my egos and Nutella was stolen, I could have done it. But I just got beat up by a five foot three Chinaman. Leo Getz says, uh, the, the preferred nomenclature is Chinese American. <laughs> he says, whatever. I can't do it. Murtaugh says, look, Riggs, you ain't gonna believe this, but I actually think you used to be a good cop. Matter of fact, I even looked up to you. Despite your questionable background, I thought, this kid is going to be the best cop anybody ever knew. And you were doing it too. Working with you, that could have been a privilege. Then the time came for you to take on the world, and you did. But somewhere along the line, you changed. You stopped being you. You let people steal your Eggo waffles and Nutella. <laughs> Tell you you're no good. And when things got hard, you started looking for something to blame. And then you started throwing them off roofs. I'm not sure that's legal, by the way. But let me tell you something. Something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place. And I don't care how tough you are. It'll beat you to your knees and keep you there if you let it. You, me, nobody's going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. You don't take out your frustrations from stolen breakfast food <laughs> on innocent punks. Saying you ain't where you want to be because they wouldn't let go my ego. How <laughs> would you do that? And that ain't you. You're better than that. I'm always going to be your partner, no matter what. No matter what happens. But until you, until you stop believing in yourself, you ain't going to have a lot. You know me. There's a lot of truth in these words you've spoken to me. If anyone else were to call me a coward, I'd have hung him by the toenails 12 stories up. But you're my partner, and I believe in you. And it's good to know you believe in me too. We got nothing to lose. We're expendable weapons, after all. Like a plastic butter knife. <laughs> well, I'd hardly call plastic cutlery a weapon. On the contrary, I once killed a man plastic butter and knife for putting his dirty digits in my Nutella. Now let's finish this. <laughs> we really want oh, Nutella right. as a uh, as a sponsor. <laughs> sponsor. Can't tell. Yeah. I'm trying, fellas. I'm trying. Well, they finally find Drago, Drago and Stonebanks. Stonebanks says, well, it's about time you two got here. It seems we have a little score to settle. You, boy, stole my name. And Myrtle, Aren't you getting a little too old for this? 
<laughs> Murtaugh says, We're to finish this once and for all. To which Drago responds, I must break you. For good this time. Riggs says, You ready to go for the title, old man? I'm younger, faster, stronger, and crazier than you. Besides, I'm pretty sure you're the bloke that stole my egos and Nutella. Now, gang, I would love to tell you that there was a mighty back-and-forth fight. But upon making his wild statement, Jason Briggs quickly pulls out his Glock and blows both men away. Yeah. <laughs> to which he then proclaimed, No one, and I mean no one, steals another man's Nutella. You good, partner? I didn't mean to steal your thunder like that. <laughs> nah, it's all right. You needed it. You really are crazy, though. You know that? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Both men receive commendations and are promoted to captain by police captain Arnold Murphy. Congratulations, gentlemen. You are officially commendated. <laughs> you finally made it to Captain Murtaugh. Not bad for a boomer like yourself. <laughs> to which he responds, well, Captain Murphy's a boomer too. And he says, I'm not a boomer. <laughs> that was really good. I like that one. That yeah, we got it. Yeah, that, that's it. I'll set up just for that. I'm not a hey, y'all. Uh, you know, Butters deserves a commendation too. Where is that guy? Oh yeah, yeah, that guy. Uh, he's with your daughter. What? Wait, what? Oh yeah, yeah. She's she's having his baby. Why? What? And Butter shows up. Yeah, yeah, that's that, that, that's right, sir. Your your baby is half of my baby. And your baby? Well, whoa, baby. Oh, baby. And with okay. that, Murtaugh starts chasing Butters as, as Riggs, Murphy, and Leo Getz, who's now in a full body cast, have a good, long laugh. The end. <laughs> oh, that was fantastic. Uh, As in fans would find that fantastic. They would. Yes. Yeah, because it was fantastic, yeah. Yes. And if you were a murderer, that means you really just murd. That's and right. If you, if you murd, you're a murderer. Right? Word. Word. It is a word. Whatever you say, man, you're the you're the judge. I'm a murderer. <laughs> I murd. Okay, well, let's unpack this, because that was amazing. So, expendable weapons. Perfect. Uh, Rocky Rambo, <laughs> I really enjoyed Stone Cold doing the thing he was supposed to do until that's realizing right. he was working for a Frenchman. And he bailed. through the wall. That's my Stone Cold. That, that was it, man. That was him. That's from some some major bonus points right there. In Hong Kong, you'd be dead. Uh, but Lethal Weapon Four was so much better than people gave it credit. Yeah, but in mean? the fourth one, in the end, where after uh, Jet Li's brother was, well, you know. Yeah, and they he's down there in the docks, and he's like, they they just have to walk away. It's done. They just have to leave. I know. But Riggs is like, yeah, but how's but how did he do that? that? And they're I like, know, all right, let's go ask him. Let's go <laughs> ask him. And then uh, you used the Chinaman, which is not the right nomenclature from the Big Lebowski. Much yeah, man, threw that in there too. <laughs> if there's anything you did that I love more than the boomer joke, <laughs> was your Rocky speech. From Rocky. Thank you. Thank but that you. was just called That was Balboa? somebody from Rocky Balboa, yeah. Rocky Balboa, talking to Milo Ventimiglia. And yep. that is my favorite, one of my favorite movie speeches. And you it's nailed a great it. great movie speech. And yeah. added a bunch of other great things to it. But then, it's not, it's not the, I'm not the boomer. <laughs> not the boomer. <laughs> I'm from the future. Uh, <laughs> I'm not the problem. We watched Kindergarten Cop the other day, actually. <laughs> that was amazing. I truly appreciated every piece of it. So we will now move on to the coup de gras. The <laughs> cup of grace. The, the, the coup de grace. And the ever ready, always on time, ready to win this episode, Shane Roberts, who will be uh, doing... I'm not mistaken, Die Hard, but with Riggs and Murtaugh from Lethal Weapon. Uh, I kind of did that. I did something. <laughs> Let's Listen, hear it. Don't expect much. I'm expecting everything. I'm expecting you to win. 
Every time I'm not. you say that, Jade, you pull something. Yeah, out. but this time. That's I'm telling you, this time you're going to be like, that sucks. On the tip of my tongue. You can do better than me. I guarantee it. But if I can at least get one or two chuckles, that's something. Well, there's one for you. Okay. <laughs> so nice. I, as, as has been stated, I'm doing Die Hard with the cast of Lethal Weapon. At least that was my understanding. Um, so this is Lethal Death. <laughs> <laughs> so... The setting for this, the setting for this movie, is that uh, Lee Butters is going to be marrying Murtaugh's daughter, and they're going to be doing so in in the big tower, Kamikaze uh, Nakatomi. There it is, Nakatomi Tower. All right. Um, he and Riggs are going to be going to this uh, this big ordeal, this big event. Uh, they're going to be driven there by Leo Getz, making his one uh, one little appearance here because he has to make an appearance, and you know he can pull up in a limo, and you know he'll be like, "You want a limo? You know, whatever you want, Leo Getz." And uh, they're going to drive him up in a limo. They're going to get out. They're going to get in there, and then they're going to realize for some reason because they're apparently stupid, they did not come already dressed in tuxedos. So they're going to go to change. That's a thing. Also, I'm going to make this point clear right now so that it makes sense in a few moments when it comes up. Because they are, my understanding is, they're cops in L.A. And this takes place in L.A. Um, the, they're not cops at the precinct. That would be uh, be with the tower. They're very much the rivals with that precinct. So you keep that in mind. It's a fact. It's already been stated. It's not made up later. Canon now. All right. Okay, 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 okay. okay. <laughs> All right, so while they're they're in the bathroom, they're getting ready, you know. Riggs looks over at Murtaugh. He's like, you know, you're looking good, man. He pats him on the back. He's going to turn. The camera's going to see that Riggs placed a picture of him doing the chicken man distraction uh, on his back as he patted him on the back. And unbeknownst to them, as the two of them are, are getting ready, you know, this dude by the name of Hans Gruber is going to take everybody hostage because that's what happens in these sort of movies. Because it turns out there's also a big pile of money in a big fancy vault in this big fancy tower. Because that's where people keep money. So they're going to come out. They're going to figure this out. Riggs going to be like, looks like we're back on duty. Murtaugh says, I'm getting too old for this poop. And Riggs gives him a strange look. And he says, I think we're PG in this thing. So they, uh, they figure out, because they're detectives and they can figure things out, that... Uh, they're German terrorists, and they're trying to get in a big vault. And, of course, they realize at this moment that they didn't bring their guns to the wedding because that would have made things too convenient. So they sneak around a bit, but then the brilliant Hans Gruber, being as brilliant as he is, soon figures out that they're there. He sends some henchmen to take care of them. Briggs and Murtaugh are going to throw them down an elevator shaft. If they're able to, they, they get their guns, they get their radios, and Murtaugh's quickly going to call for help. And who's going to answer that call? But Officer Carl Winslow. Great, Carl Winslow. However, Carl Winslow is a bit skeptical of the message because the jerks from the other precinct are always trying to get him to go out on false calls and waste their time because they think it's funny. Because, you know, especially Riggs is always trying to pull pranks on them. So Riggs and Murtaugh, uh, they, in, in the meantime, after they've made this call, Carl Winslow is like, well, I'll come check it out, but... You know, I'm not getting everybody involved. They're going to kill five more terrorists in the tower because that's what they do. So Officer Winslow shows up, and he doesn't really seem like, you know, there's nothing, nothing really going on. He's about to leave when a terrorist body falls onto his car. Officer Winslow reads a message written on the terrorist. Do you believe us now? He's about to, to call in, and another body falls. Seriously, there are a lot of terrorists in here, it says across the chest. <laughs> He goes for the radio again, and then another body falls on top of that one. Not sure how many, but there are a lot. He starts for the radio, and then another body falls. At least a few dozen. He doesn't even reach for the radio this time. Another body drops. Several dozen. But we're almost out of bodies, so... Another body. We can't say much more, but we should... Another body. Probably get some help in here. There's a long silence. Finally, Officer Winslow starts for his radio again. And then another body. Another guy came in, so we just thought we'd say hi one last time. Carl Winslow gets on the radio. Will you stop throwing <laughs> bodies on my car? 
He calls in a, a SWAT team. And uh, I got to stop you. I got to stop you. That's one of the best gags I've ever heard of. And I need to see that in a real movie. And so he, uh, he calls in a SWAT team. Riggs and Murtaugh are able to f- save a f- uh, free a few hostages as they wait on the team to arrive. And, but when the team arrives, Gruber sends down a group to take them out. The SWAT team seems like they're in trouble. But luckily... They got friends in high places. Everybody, I need your belts, yells Riggs. All the hostages gather together. They give him his belts. Riggs starts forming a massive rope. He looks at Murtaugh. Well, you weigh like, I don't know, 250 as he puts the, the rope around his waist. He's like, it's more like 225. I lost some weight. Buzz Murtaugh. Close enough. Riggs says as he puts the other end around himself and drops down the elevator shaft. Riggs, he yells Murtaugh as he clings to the elevator door. Riggs begins shooting terrorists on each floor as he soars down the shaft. He reaches the bottom and stops upside down just a few inches from striking the floor, and he unloads into all the terrorists on the ground floor. Got him, yells Riggs. Yeah, yeah, we got him, yells Murtaugh. You need me to hold you up. Couldn't have done it without me. I mean, I could have tied it to a pole, but I thought it'd be funner if you had to hang on, says Riggs. Now pull me back up there. Riggs, it's like 15 floors. Uh, Just go ahead and pull me up. Riggs, he yells Murtaugh, and he just takes the belt off. Riggs drops the last six inches to the ground. He starts to walk off in disgust, but is stopped soon by Hans Gruber, who now has a gun up against his daughter's head. Oh, yeah, we didn't finish that storyline, did we, says Murtaugh. (laughs) Indeed, we did not. Now is the time that you will die and I will win, says Gruber. As he points his gun at Riggs, there's suddenly another voice. Avada Kedavra, melon farmer, says Butters as he shoots Gruber in the head, blowing him out the window, where he then lands on Carl Winslow's police car. Oh, come on, says Winslow. Did I do that? Says Butters from, I don't know, however many stories up high it is. At the end of the day, Butters marries Murtaugh's daughter, and all is well. The end. <laughs> this is the Melon guy who says armor. This is the guy who says I have nothing for the Godfather. It makes up one of the best stories we've ever heard. Who comes in with absolutely nothing and comes up with the greatest gag we've ever had on the show <laughs> with the body messages. And then uh, the Avodica down uh, from Melon Farmer. Well, you wanted a couple of chuckles. You got a few more than that. Uh, let's yes, let's unpack do. this a little bit here. Uh, Lethal Death, the title. Starts off strong. The too old for this poop. I think we're PGing this thing. <laughs> Did you know of the German terrorists in the original, uh, in, in the first Die Hard, <clears throat> in Germany, they weren't German terrorists. They were known as assorted Europeans. <laughs> really? I thought you'd just feel like, you know, neighbors. I loved the stunt with the elevator and then the, the, the true, like, perfect... Uh, dialogue between Murtaugh and Riggs on the whole, you know, like you couldn't have done it without me. And he says, Yes, I could have. <laughs> Fantastic. You brought in a vodka dabra melon farmer. <laughs> and then you brought in Steve Urkel from way up high. <laughs> you know, usually when I host, I have a very hard time picking a winner. Uh, this time I have a winner. Pretty fast. Not me. Pretty fast. But I'm not going to say it. Till next time. Yeah, next time we're doing an improv. No. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> if you've listened to our yeah. Blues Brothers episode, you will know that's uh, it turned out all right. So uh, three <laughs> amazing stories. That uh, I know you're laughing because I haven't put it out yet, but by the time they hear this one, I will have. I'm also laughing because the buildup was, you'll know it turned out all right. <laughs> 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 it's not like it turned out amazing. Like, it turned it's, out it's not the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. What was uh, I've heard that? it was the best episode we ever had so far. Best episode is all right. <laughs> what was that uh, Futurama movie with the the people from the neutral planet? It was like all I know is my gut says maybe. <laughs> but. But anyway, we had three excellent stories tonight. And this was a difficult prompt to to take a movie 
and and we just kind of went in a circle. The three movies just rotated the uh, the casts around. But uh, I'm proud of all three of you guys because you nailed it on all three occasions. But in this one, I have to say, because of uh, because of the speech, because of the, it's not the boomer, I've got to give it to Chris. <laughs> that was a phenomenal story. It's not a boomer. And the Rockies. It's not a boomer. I actually, I'm sorry, Shane, because I wrote this down before you went, but I have Rocky speech, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, and then I put wins it, and I underlined it four times. Chris, then, is the winner of our Die Hard Lethal Weapon Expendables episode, which means next episode, he will be able to choose the movie and what to change about it, and he will host and judge me, Shane, and Jeremy. Uh, Chris, do you have a victory speech? Well, I do, as a matter of fact, Michael. And my victory speech, well, it, it's it's going to go a little something like this. Look, you ain't going to believe this, but I actually think that you're a good judge. I looked up to you, Circle. I said, you know what? This kid, he's going to be the best anybody ever knew. And you were doing it, too, working with you. That was a real privilege. Then the time came for you to take on the world, and you did. But somewhere along the line, you changed. You stopped being you. You let people tell you that you were no good. And when things got hard, you started looking for something to blame. And then, well, you started throwing them off roofs. Oh, wait a minute. You didn't do that. <laughs> but maybe you did. I'm not sure. You don't know. But let me tell you something. You already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are. It will beat you to your knees and keep you there if you let it. You, me, nobody's going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. And you, my friend, you're a winner. And now I'm a winner, too. And don't worry, fellas. Next time we're together, one of you all will be winners, too was motivational beyond belief. Like, I am super motivated to win again next week. Well, if you are enjoying Once Upon a Recast, make sure that you subscribe to our podcast and whichever uh, podcast player you're using, whether it is Apple, Google, Spotify. Or, yeah, it's on TuneIn now. So anything you see it on, hit that like or subscribe button to make sure that you get notified when we come out with a new episode. Tell your friends. Post about it. Tell your grandma. Your grandma loves us. She doesn't know it yet, but she does. So tell everybody. Uh, with that being said, special thanks to, of course, Jeremy, Shane, and Chris for this excellent episode. We look forward to doing it again in the future. Uh, till then, anybody have anything else they want to say to our fantastic audience of 15 people? We love you. Ditto. Sure. Have you guys ever podcasted before? <laughs> yes. If, the, if there was a visual gag, it uh-huh. was super funny. <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right. We'll catch y'all next time on Once Upon a Recast.